Right. Welcome back, guys, to the Grateful Living podcast. I am here with Osama Say Ekator. He is a uh, Boston-based poet, um, the author of Situationship, which came out in March of 2019. He is also a graduate of Boston College in 2017. Uh, Osama Say, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, awesome. Um, so let's let's take it back. Um, uh, take it back to maybe, um, you know, where you grew up, talk about your family yeah. situation and uh, things of that nature. Yeah. So grew up in Revere, Massachusetts, um, about 10, 15 minutes away from Boston and uh, family background. I am known as the American baby in my family because uh, my, all my siblings were born in Nigeria. My, my parents are from Nigeria. And so uh, they came and then eventually had me. Um, even with my siblings, I actually didn't know I had siblings until I was like five. Oh. Um, yeah, and it's not like we have different like dad or mom, like we have the same parents. <laughs> I just never like knew. Yeah. Uh, my parents always told me, you know, oh, we told you that you had siblings, but like as a four, five-year-old, like I'm not gonna remember unless I see you. Yeah. So um, I went to Nigeria for the first time when I was five. But when I was four and I turned five over there and that's when I met my siblings. Wow. Um, and it was just like a new world to me uh, to have that many siblings and not be the only child. Um, and then they soon came to live with us in America and it's been like that ever since. Yeah. Um, I get that's uh, what was that first feeling like of, of like meeting them and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, you know, I remember um, coming off the plane and then eventually we go to my family's house, which all of my cousins are there, like just a bunch of them. So I have no idea who's who. And then eventually my, my mom points out, I'm with my mom, and, and she pointed out three people. And she was like, so these are, this is your brother, your brother, your sister. And I was just like, okay, cool, I bet, I guess. And so, like, for me, it was new. My siblings, like, um, for me, it was just like more people to play with. Like I'm a yeah. five-year-old, but for my siblings, it was like they finally get to meet their little brother that they've only seen pictures of um, since I was born. So um, I remember that time very dearly. And like honestly, if you were to ask me when my life started, my brain would think it started in Nigeria because I can't remember anything before meeting them. It was wow. probably because it was my first like big life experience. Um, so it was interesting, um, and there's a big age gap too. I didn't say that. So, right, I was five, which means my oldest brother was like um, 20 years old. Wow. Uh, yeah. Second oldest was would be 16, and then my sister was uh, 14. Yeah. Um, I hope I got that math right, but like big <laughs> age yeah. gap um, basically. So, so yeah, I'm like the baby baby of my family. Yeah. How has the relationship progressed and and like where is it now yeah um it's different than what it was when it was back then um being that big of an age difference i basically grew up rather than having two parents i basically had five parents um my mom and dad and then my two brothers and my sisters so they were big like parental figures basically um which had its benefits also at a when I was younger, though, it was kind of hard to relate just because of the age gap. Um, and always being on my P's and Q's, even when I'm with my siblings. Now that we're all older, um, 
I think we relate a lot better just because, like, I'm, I'm mature now. We can talk about certain things. Um, my sister and, like, I'm the godfather to her firstborn. And so, like, I think that's also helped with our relationship and just being able to watch my sister grow as a parent um, and kind of seeing how she raised me. And now I'm filling that into my nephew, my niece, and my new nephew. Um, so it's been pretty dope. Um, yeah. getting to know my siblings as I get older. Um, and yeah. Are they being raised in Nigeria or here? So no, they, so I, when I went there, when I was uh, four turned five, they came to join us not too long after and they've okay. been here ever since. Okay. Um, and so, you know, just that's the way things worked out. And yeah, immediately when they came to live, I remember the first day they came and like, I, I I told my mom, like, oh, yeah, like, we're going to go to Blockbuster and get Dr. Doolittle on VHS, and I'm going to make them ramen noodle soup. Like, I just was so happy to have them. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, from Nigeria to America, it's a very long flight, so, like, they were tired. So I just yeah. remember being, like, <laughs> kind of bummed, but yeah. just happy overall to have siblings. Um, and, yeah, I, I can't imagine how life would have been as an only child, even though, in a sense, being that such of a big age group, age difference, kind of was on my own. Um, but yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been good. That's awesome. Um, was, you know, outside of that, was the Nigerian background a big part of your life growing up? Yeah. Were there things in, is there a community in Boston that you were involved in or anything like that? Great question. So um, community-wise, so with Boston, um, there is, um, I would say a large presence of Nigerians, especially like within Boston, Boston. Um, once again, I live on kind of the outskirts of being in Revere. Um, but like my family would go into Boston like every weekend. Um, my parents are part of um, one of the Nigerian clubs in Boston. And so just going over there to their meetings, like back then I remember being like, oh my God, like I have to go sit down for this like hour meeting between parents, between like adults. But like in hindsight, that was always my chance to be around my cousins or family friends. Yeah. Um, and we were all bored together. So like we all just kind <laughs> of clicked. Um, and now that I'm older, like a lot of those family friends and cousins, we still connect. Um, we're all doing different things. And so it's kind of cool to just see how each of us are growing and also how we can help each other. Um, so that's kind of like the Nigerian background of, within Boston. And then within the actual household, uh, coming from a Nigerian background, definitely set me up for success in regards of having high standards for myself, being disciplined. Um, my parents always taught me that, you know, in order to be a great general and commander, you have to be a good soldier. So just taking in those kind of lessons and having that discipline, getting your homework done, um, you know, the, tight um curfew like i remember my curfew used to be as soon as the lights like turn on um the street lights turn on i'm back inside or as soon as it gets dark i'm inside so if it's winter time and it's february that <laughs> means my curfew is five yeah. and like i'm not talking just like middle school i'm talking like high school like yeah. five is my is basically my curfew yeah. so uh growing up you know it was a lot um and at times it would be annoying because it's like i have friends that can be out as much as they want they can go to parties but like I just did it. I just understood it to a sense, um, even without knowing the words to lie, 
my parents raised me like this, but I just understood that, hey, I can trust them to make these right decisions. Um, once again, I am the baby, so I have older siblings to look up to as well. When they came to America, um, like all three of them, they all went to college. Um, so just knowing what I need to do and get that done um, definitely set me up uh, for success and just keeping myself at a high standard. Talk to me a little bit more about Revere and um, I guess, you know, were there any other like Nigerians in, in your community and in, in your school and mm -hmm. how, how did you balance yeah. those two identities? Yeah, so um, in Revere in particular, um, there are Nigerians here, not as many as there are in Boston, but there are Nigerians here. Um, and I'm super like, dude, like those are my like, friends for life. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was a blessing because I didn't know how many Nigerians were in Revere until I got to high school. So for me, um, once I finally got to high school and I was around more Nigerians, it, I just felt like I, I felt like I was at home. I felt like I was around my other cousins. And part of the things that help us bond is it's really our parents because it's like make, make, like making fun of them, like not in the bad way, but in the yeah. sense of like, oh, my mom made me do this today or my dad made me do this today. And it's like, oh, I can relate because my parents did the same thing. Yeah. So like we bonded just off of that, um, having the same kind of discipline, having the same kind of rules. So it helped us a lot. Um, and it, it wasn't, it, it just made me feel more at home. Um, and yeah, it wasn't too much of a, two different identities. It was just okay. like an identity that I always had, but yeah. now being around more of them, it's like, I can actually express that and it's okay to express that. Yeah. Cause and one last thing I'll say on this too, is if you think back to when, uh, you know, you and I were younger, yeah. things were a lot different in regards of what it meant, meant to be African when it comes to your peers. Like I remember like, my middle school years, elementary years, African booty scratcher was like a joke. Like if you're African, like you're a booty scratcher or you're, you're, you're starving, like yeah. all these bad stereotypes that I remember hearing when I was younger and I just like, whatever, um, I'm African, it is what it is. But then once again, when I'm now around more Nigerian, especially in high school, it just made me feel like, oh, no, nah, this is like, this is dope. I'm happy to be African. I'm happy to be Nigerian. I know my roots, my parents. I know exactly what city they come from. Um, and since then, it's just been my way of trying to learn more about my history um, and, and kind of just taking that, um, taking those values as a way to empower myself um, and be proud of it. Yeah, yeah. What's the what's the best part about being a, the youngest sibling, and what's the worst part? Um, best part is handy downs. Um, I grew up, I grew pretty fast. Like I was a pretty tall kid um, when I was younger. So even like my shoe size, like I had the same shoe size as like my older older brother wow. when I was like in middle school. Yeah. And so like um, I would have all the sneakers I wanted. Like, I think the first time I actually paid for sneakers, it was probably high school, like late high school. And I just needed basketball sneakers. But ever since then, I never paid for sneakers. Like I just had shoes. Um, I had mad hats, like all these things were just given to me. Yeah. And I didn't have to ask for. Um, so that was dope. Now the cons of being the youngest is once again, that discipline, um, being told what to do every day, clean this, do that. Um, but like, it is what it is. Like it only, all it did once again was teach me how to take orders 
um, understand what my priorities are. And from that point, just basically get my shit together. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, not too many comp, more so of the pros. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So talk to us about um, what you're like as a kid, uh, what your interests are, mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think like many kids, I had uh, different stages. So when I was younger, like when I was like young, young, um, I did a lot of uh, drawing. So drawing, drawing was probably my first passion. Um, And when I was in fourth grade, I actually used to make comic books. Um, I think the name of it was called like Super Dog, uh, (laughs) where it would be like, probably like eight panels or two sheets and like selling that from my desk. Um, And like, you know, it makes me make. I mean, if you shook my desk, (laughs) back in however long ago that was like you would hear all all you would hear is quarters um so that was my first passion and i remember saying i'm going to be a comic book artist when i grow older um and then eventually that kind of slowed down i think there was a point in my life where i thought comic books were too kiddie um too kiddish and so i tried to be like older and i'm like nah i don't read comic books no more but i was fine because i still do but um I, I I kind of fell off of that. I still drew. I still, yeah, I would still draw. Um, and there was even a point, I think when I was in kindergarten or first grade, one of my portraits, it was dumb. It was like a chicken with the apple head. Like it was the weirdest <laughs> shit in the world. Yeah. Um, but, but for some reason, you know, it actually got um, accepted into the Revere High School um, art exhibition. Wow. And awesome. Yeah, I, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. I don't know if I entered a contest or if my parents did something. I don't know. But um, having those early interactions with art definitely set me to where I am now. Um, but so to keep with the timeline, there's that artsy phase. Then I get into sports, like heavily into sports, um, basketball in particular. And the way basketball worked, I think I started playing basketball pretty late. Like I started playing at the age of 12. Um, for some that's not late, for some that is. And I remember the only reason why I started playing it is, once again, being the baby of the family, having older siblings. My brother, like, had an Xbox. He had all the 2Ks yeah. that were out. And so I remember, like, playing, like, my first 2K, I think it was 2K5, Shaq was on the cover, and, like, I made my dude, like, 7-2 <laughs> to shoot from anywhere on the court. Like, I just made a ridiculous player. And I was like, this is dope. Why don't I try this in person if it's this yeah. easy on a game? So I remember um, at 12, I started like playing, playing basketball. I joined the Revere uh, traveling team and I was terrible. I was trash. Like I was just tall and I could jump, but like everything else, terrible. Um, And that was kind of my first test of trying something that I've never done before. Um, Being with kids that have been doing this and like will tell you to your face, yo, you suck. Like, I I don't know if that's just the area that I grew up in. Um, Once again, Revere's right here. Chelsea's right there. Everett's right there. I would say these communities, especially when it comes to, like, ball, is, like, very straightforward. Like, if you suck, they're going to tell you that. They're going (laughs) to laugh you off of the court. So um, I remember that being my first interaction with basketball and eventually kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, um, got better, played AAU, then eventually played varsity all four years in high school um, and just like really, really taking it serious and eventually got recruited by 
a few schools, Division Three, um, to play basketball collegiately. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where I thought I was headed. You know, everybody wants to make it to the NBA, yeah. but I had to quickly learn that that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Um, and now this third stage, right? So first stage being kind of artsy, middle stage being sports, sports. Then the third stage, which is what I think I'm currently still in now, is kind of a mixture of all of that. But career-wise, it's, you know, I think art is where I want to go. And that's what um, led me to poetry, led me to just writing um, novels also, um, and in fiction in particular. And so stemming back to my comic book days and thinking, oh, comic books aren't taken seriously. Like, I should probably read books and write books. And now that's gotten me to where I am now. Um, so it's kind of like a full circle, but still love ball. Um, I know that when we spoke, I'm a sports guy too. So no stats off the back of my head. Um, so yeah. 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 Um, talk to me about the first time you got introduced to poetry or wrote your first poem. Um, was it, were you instantly into it or did it come later? Um, after. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer that, you have to understand now another set of stages that I went through. And that is it's based on music. So when I was like younger, younger, um, I listened to a lot of rock, like Linkin Park in particular. And um, definitely a phase. I just like it was just good music. Um, yeah. But as I got a little bit older and my brothers, um, listening to like the 50 cents of the world, uh, Tupac, Biggie, just having those kind of, and it still affects me now, like all this because it was old school music. Um, And so like having those older influences, that kind of changed my view of music. Um, I went from Linkin Park to now Jay-Z, because Jay-Z and Linkin Park had an album together. So I kind of had that transition. Then Jay-Z to Kanye. Now Kanye to Drake. Like it just took like a transformation and now I'm all about hip hop. And what I learned from that is the idea of like just lyrics, the power of lyricism. Um, I found it beautiful just the way, especially Jay-Z um, and even like the chemical Mars where the last line of a lyric is now, that, that last word is now the first word of the next sentence or a word that sounds very similar. So just learning different ways of rhyming. I was like, oh, this is dope. Um, but I never knew how to really like put that to paper. Like I was, I, I never said I'm going to be a rapper. Yeah. So by high school, start taking it. Um, when I took my English classes, classes in AP English, um, poetry would come up and there's a poem by Langston Hughes. Uh, uh, I always forget the name Harlem. I think it's Harlem jukebox night song. I may have just butchered that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. but, but it's a Langston, it's a Langston Hughes poem. And, it was my first time reading uh, uh, poetry from someone that looked like me. Um, for some background on Langston Hughes, 1920s Harlem Renaissance poet, um, where you know he he changed a lot of uh, what poetry looks like, and just once again having poems that are more relatable to people that look like me, people that are in the black community, versus you know of course you have the Shakespeare's, but then also the other uh, dead white men that are writing poetry that were usually taught. Um, to think is the proper way of writing poetry. But with Langston Hughes, it was more like it made sense. Like I got the surface level idea, but I know there was deeper meaning behind it. Um, 
And so I kind of took a template of his poem and I made my own version called Boss the Night Love Song, um, where I just kind of went off of that and created my first poem. And um, that poem is very dear to my heart. I know it yeah. like, like this, like clockwork. Um, yeah. And I, I performed it for my sister at her wedding. Um, and that was my first time performing. It was hard. And, it, and I had practiced like, oh, I got this performance. I got this performance. Yeah. But when I saw my sister getting married, everything just hit me like, whoa, like my sister's getting married. Like, she's not going to have our last name no more. Like, it just hit me in that yeah. moment. And so I barely got the poem off. Um, I'm choking on my words. I saw my sister start to tear up. Um, now the whole room is crying around me and like, I barely got it off. And so took that experience. And once I got to college, I kept performing that poem, kept performing, kept performing and with no tears, luckily. Um, and eventually got to a space where like, I could continue to do that. And I said, why not write more poetry? Um, so that was my first taste of it. It started with music, then eventually with the introduction of Langston Hughes. Um, and now it's just something that I continue to, to work on. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about um, how you chose Boston College. Um, what went into that yeah. decision? Obviously, you talked a little bit about being recruited uh, to some D3 schools. Um, why did yeah. you end up choosing BC uh, over those schools? Yeah, um, so for my decision to go to BC, um, for some context on my high school, um, my graduating class is only 40 kids. Yeah. So like, it's a very, very small school. It's a charter school. Started two years before I even got there. Um, so very, very small school. And every time I would go around, um, whether playing basketball or things like that outside of my school, people would always ask, oh, what school do you go to? I say my school, which is Pioneer Charter School of Science in Everett, and everyone like I have, n I have no idea what that like I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So for some reason that always got to me, and so when it came to actually deciding schools like colleges, I always said I'm going to a big school. Um, and we know BC is not the biggest of schools, but it's definitely yeah. not a small school. Yeah. Um, and I want a school that I can wear on my chest, and everyone knows exactly what school I came I came from. Yeah. Um, so that was a big deciding factor for me. I just wanted to go to a known school and BC academics are also top tier as well. So yeah. it was kind of hard to beat. Um, so that's what led me to go to make that decision to go to BC, um, or at least apply to it. Now, why did I choose BC over some of the division three schools that I got recruited by? Once again, it came down to education and it was really a moment for me to realize, all right, dude, you're not making it to the NBA. Uh, and if you are going to a D3 school, it's going to be hard. Um, and so it was like, all right, do I really want to do this basketball thing? Or do I want to go to BC, potentially walk on? Yeah. Um, and regardless, I'm still getting an, 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 an amazing education. Yeah. So that was my deciding factor to go to BC. And it's a funny story because the, the top school that I got recruited by I was afraid to tell them my decision because I thought they would hate me. They just spent the whole half of the uh, year trying to recruit me. Um, I did college visits and everything. And I didn't know how to tell the coach. Like, I didn't even want to call him. I emailed him. I'm like, hey, um, I'm not coming next semester. I'm actually going to go to Boston College. 
So I'm thinking I'm going to get an email that's like, oh, well, whatever. We ain't need you. We had five of <laughs> you, so it's whatever. Yeah. Um, but he actually emailed me and said, well, as an alumni of class of whatever yeah. from Boston College, I think you're making a great decision. <laughs> so um, that was, yeah, that was the story of how I ended up choosing BC. And yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit more about the, the charter school. Um, what was your experience there? Um, mm -hmm. And you have any general thoughts on, you know, charter schools in general? Yeah. So uh, the charter school that I went to, um, for me also, you have to like realize this charter school is in Everett, Everett uh, Massachusetts. And I'm, I'm in Revere. I grew up in Revere. I went to Revere Public Schools. My siblings went to Revere High School. All my friends are going to Revere High School. So I'm thinking I'm going to, it's like no question, um, no questions asked. However, my parents, you know, my grades as a middle schooler, middle, B's, C's, um, and my parents were just like, no, like you're too, you're too distracted. Like yeah. all your friends are there. So we're not sending you to that school. Um, and I actually had cousins at Pioneer that already, um, they were part of the first classes um, to start at that school a few years prior. So I think their, their mom had told my mom about the school um, and she decided, okay, you're going to go to this charter school um, in Everett. And I remember I hated that idea. I did not want to leave Revere. Um, and it's funny too, because Pioneer, they make you do an interview. And during the interview, the counselors had asked me, so once again, it's called the Pioneer Charter School of Science. Yeah. So the, the counselors had asked me, so my interview is basically over. They go, so um, what's your grades in um, science right now? And I go, D. <laughs> I don't remember if I even had a D. I just said yeah. D. And then they said, oh, okay. Uh, well, what's your current grades in math? I'm like, C. My dad was so livid. As soon as we head back to the car, my dad was like, why would you say that? <laughs> and I'm like, it's the truth now. That's what I have right now. I was like, well, you lie. What's wrong with you? So, so like my dad was so mad about that, but I really didn't want to go to that school. Yeah. Um, for some reason, they still took me. Yeah. And um, that freshman year was tough just because once again, like I remember staring out the window every day thinking, I want to go out. I want to leave. I want to go back to Revere. Um, the bus ride, even though Revere and, and Everett are neighboring cities, the bus route was like, like all over Revere. So it was like probably 30 minutes to 45 Um and for me, I usually could just walk to school. So that was also a big uh, transition for me. Um, so that's how I felt as, as a person. Now, educationally, that school was top tier. If yeah. I didn't go to Pioneer back then, I wouldn't have got it to BC. Um, whether that be, once again, I was surrounded by a lot of my childhood friends. Um, and I still made plenty of friends at Pioneer. But just being forced out of there put me in a mentality of, all right, I know why I'm here. I'm not here just for friends, just for the experience. I'm here to get to college, um, which is also another thing from a Nigerian background is college is not even a question of whether I'm going to attend or not. Like you are going to college, yeah. um, which is something that I learned once I graduated high school. Like all my friends that went to Revere High or just other schools, some of them like college wasn't even like I would tell them, oh, you know, this deadline's coming up for this school, for the Common App. And like, oh, really? Oh, maybe I'll think about it. And they're like, no, yeah. dude, like, you need, you need yeah. an essay yeah. by, like, Friday. So yeah. going to another school made me realize that it was actually a good decision um, 
to go to that charter school. Now, charter schools in general, I know there's like two sides to it. I know yeah. that um, some don't like it because it takes funding from other schools that may need that support. Um, however, like charter schools, it's a free education if you go there, um, which was another deciding factor for my parents. So, you know, I understand both sides, but just from my personal experience, I am blessed that I went to a charter school. Um, education was top tier and they set me in a path to go to a BC, not just any college. Like, yeah. like they were on my back about deadlines. They were on my back about SATs. I was the worst when it came to SATs, but they put me with a mentor and like every Saturday just studying my SATs, doing practice sessions. Um, and like they, they told me to basically reach for the sky because my charter school is also very diverse. Um, I've heard stories where, you know, as a minority in a school, and I know this basically because of what my current work is, I actually teach financial literacy to high school students. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes I attend conferences with other guidance counselors um, where they've talked about race and how there has been times where, you know, when it comes to a, a person of color, they may recommend you to go to a predominantly black school in the South. Yeah. When, why, why don't you, why can't you um, apply to Harvard? Yeah. Right? Is that, are you telling me that's too high for me? Um, and they've admitted to that. I've heard these conversations. And so yeah. the thing is, I never knew that. I never yeah. knew that was being said because the high school that I went to, a lot of us, once again, if not black, we just were all from different places of life, um, all different backgrounds. And like everyone was applying to like Columbia, Brown, um, MIT, and people were getting in. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, oh, yeah, like, I applied to all the Ivies. I applied yeah. to BC. But even applying to all the Ivies, BC, I knew I wanted to go there. <laughs> yeah. I knew I wanted to go there. Um, yeah. So that's I, it set me up overall. Yeah. Were you uh, were you writing back in high school as well? Um, great question. So I wasn't writing too much. Um, I had I had written that first poem my senior year. Um, you know what? I lied because because now that I think about it, so I wrote that poem as a, as an eighteen year old. Yeah. Um, however, my first idea of writing a book came in junior year. Um, took an AP literature class. And I was just, some of the books I was reading, I was like, I can do a better job of this. Like, <laughs> I, can, I can tell this. Like, if you give yeah. me that same theme, yeah. I can make a way better book. Um, something that actually can relate to someone that looks like me. So, what I started writing my first book, book like a novel, um, my junior year, I remember I have different drafts of it. Because even that same book now, 200 pages in, this is years later, right? So, I still have that book in the... Wow in the in the um, lock box right now yeah. um 200 pages that's how much i'm into it but even wow. that has gone through several rewrites and yeah. i feel bad for my ap teacher because like i used to make him read like probably 30 pages of it and like <laughs> it was probably trash yeah um, just because i was like young and i was trying out the writing so yeah um i started writing heavily junior year then senior year when i wrote my first poem and it just kind of took off from there what do you um what do you love about writing and and um you know poetry and and things of that nature i mean what is it um is it a nice reflective activity what is yeah. it that what is it that um you like about it so i think 
of course, poetry falls within writing, but my love for both of those uh, uh, formats is kind of two separate things. So I'll start off with writing. Um, with writing, when I say writing, more so like novel writing, writing an actual story, fiction, mm-hmm. um, I just love the fact that I can create my own world. I just, I love that. I can create my own world and also I love history. So with my books, I have a whole Bible of what happened in this city of, and the, the fictional city is called the Rosewood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a Bible of what happened in Rosewood in 1960, 1970s, 1980s, 90s. I can create this kind of timeline, which now affects the presence of the book that you're reading um, and just seeing like how everything is affecting each other. Um, so I just love that idea of creating my own world. Yeah. Um, I love writing dialogue. Like I love having a deep conversation within my book. Um, and sometimes dialogue is not only with your words. Sometimes it's the look in two characters' eyes and that secret language of not having to say a word, but they understand each other. Um, so that's the that's what I love about writing. Once again, yeah. just creating my own stories, um, having the background, knowing what's happening in the future. To be honest, with that first novel that I kind of uh, put on the side, I have about four books in that that kind of collection. Wow. It's in a row. Wow. First book, there's the first book, there's the second book, then the third book is actually a prequel. Then the fourth book finally carries off with the uh, second book left off and then the wow. final fifth one. Wow. Yeah. So like I have like that's that's really like my real gold. Um yeah. then poetry came along and with poetry it's that's just still that same idea of creating characters and a world that you're putting your reader in. But it's also the beauty of the words that you're saying. Um, once again, from rap, just like, I love the way a, a poem can sound if performed correctly. Um, and I used to write poems just to perform them until college when I finally took a, a legit poetry class, poetry workshop, where I had to learn the difference between performing poetry and actually writing it down on paper because the way I perform it is not going to be the same way you read it. Mm. Um, So even that in itself is another art of just writing something that's dope that people can relate to. And and the last thing I'll say about poetry also is it's more digest. At times it can be more digest digestible than a full on uh, novel, right? Because with a novel there's character development. There's, you have to set up the stage where in poetry I can write, three stanzas and those three stanzas can have so much meaning in it and it's up to you to determine what that meaning is um and so it's just the poetry in my opinion is the art of saying so much by saying so little um so yeah 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 um did you go into bc knowing you'd be a humanities major or what was your thought process yeah so 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 my major was um, English and going into it, I had the decision of either the history or English. Um, I remember asking my dad like what he thought would be the right major to go with. Um, and also the fact that I told my dad English and history for a Nigerian household, those two things alone is like, <laughs> well, what? Because a lot of... A lot of, and this might not even be an idea, just an African thing. Um, yeah. they ex- your parents usually expect you to be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Those are like yeah. the three main jobs. Yeah. And so when I told my dad history and English, like, 
like shout out to my dad for even listening to that because I feel like a lot of other parents would have said, no, no to either of them. Like, you're not doing that. Go study something in medicine. Um, So when I told my dad that, but here's the thing. So actually, I missed one job. And so when I told my dad history and English, he then said, okay, lawyer. That's what you'll be. You'll be a lawyer. (laughs) So I said, okay, I'll be a lawyer. Um, And he said, it doesn't matter which one you choose, history or English, because they're both good majors that will lead you to that path. Um, and so I ended up going with English just because I figured it would give me more um, opportunity to actually write. Um, it's funny because I actually enjoy writing more than I enjoy reading. Yeah. Um, I know it's weird as an English major, but I love just writing. Um, yeah. So that's what made me decide going into BC that I would be an English major. And it was a great decision. I was the only, I think myself and one other person for a lot of years were the only two black um, male English majors. Yeah. Um, so even in that was a different experience, but um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, with the poetry, at what point did you start thinking about maybe I might turn this into a book? Yeah, uh, great question. So when I decided to start thinking of writing a book, um, remember, right, I, I was already doing book writing um, when it came to this novel, this big five book collection yeah. that is going to turn into a movie or a TV show. Like that was what yeah. my mind was set on. Yeah. Um, but then when I, so actually when I graduated from BC um, and I was like, all right, I really want to get this book publishing process like in the works um granted i didn't finish the book yet i was 200 pages in but i still wasn't done um and so many rewrites so i had hired a poetry consultant or a book consultant um and i had asked her you know i wanted to know about the game like what is the difference between traditional publishing and self-publishing um how do i build a platform and I was lucky to be paired up with such a great consultant because she laid out everything for me. She gave me all the tools and resources that I need needed. And one thing that she taught me that I would also advise any other, um, uh, you know, potential um, aspiring authors is sometimes you don't have to go with your baby. Like you don't have to go with your golden child of an idea. And the reason why she told me this and why I'm telling you this now is when you make your first book, especially self, self-publishing, you're going to make rookie mistakes. Yeah. Like that's just inevitable. It's just mistakes, whether it be you could have marketed, marketed it better yeah. um, or the formatting of it, expenses, all these rookie mistakes that you're going to make just because you don't have experience. And so now not only are you making those mistakes, but you're making it with your baby, with your golden child. So this could be the best book you've written in your life. But if you didn't have the tools to actually put it on a platform where people can actually buy that book, then it's almost like a waste. Yep. So when she told me that, I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't want to waste my first book. Um, and so she said, think of like other ways you might want to write a book. Um, and so then I was like, hmm, well, I also do poetry. And like, it's just easy for me. Like, it's just yeah. easier for me. Like, legit it's less things to write about um (laughs) and so i was like all right i could probably do a poetry book and my plan was to write a couple write some poetry books um and then get back into the novel writing so and it's interesting that was my plan but now like that was 
two about three years ago and yeah. i was still in the poetry game yeah um and like i definitely am a lot closer to it now but that was my plan initially um to write poetry then build my platform make my rookie mistakes now people know me not as just osama say that i went to boston college but now osama say the poet the writer because yeah. yeah. um, that's before only my friends knew that so um, that's when I made that decision. And luckily, when I took my poetry workshop class in college, uh, my junior senior year, I had actually written a poetry chapbook, which is a book of like 20 um, or so poems. That was for a, a final project. And knowing that I had that kind of uh, foundation, I was like, oh, I, what I can do is take that book. And it's already been graded by a college professor, so I know it's a, it's a good book. Um, from a mechanical point standpoint, and now actually update it, um, add more of the new techniques that I've learned over time, and turn that book into now what soon became Situationship. Um, there's a lot more new. There's a lot new. A lot more new poems in Situationship, but definitely that template of that book, Situationship, was from yeah. my poetry workshop class. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you were Thinking about it, how did you, um, you know, the book the book has a lot about. I mean, it's essentially um, mostly about romance and love. Um, so, mm -hmm. how did you? Mm -hmm. Were you thinking about yeah. different? Um, you know, were you diff thinking about different ways to do it, or did you come up with? Was was it always it was going to be about love, or how did, how was that process? Mm -hmm. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that. So the template book, well, the book that I wrote for um, that poetry class, it was called Fought for a Race. And um, me in general, like my strong points usually are love poems, usually are poems about race. Like those are just my two pockets. Yeah. So that, that first foundation of a book was, the beginning was a lot about, um, it was about love um being in love with somebody that might not love you back um the first the first couple of sections of poems was the great parts of being in love and like it seems everything is great then it kind of goes downwards and now it's you have to leave this battleground of love and now you have to join another battleground of being a black male um, in america so it kind of took that transition so the meat the middle part of the book was about race yeah. Then the last part finally got back to love. And I kind of use the analogy of a veteran coming back from war, you know, coming back to an, to America. Um, think of a soldier from the 1940s or even Vietnam War or even Iraq War. Um, yeah. That's, that's African-American. You come back from fighting for your country. And now you come back to America and you're still treated as if you're a second class citizen. Um, at times even worse. Yeah. So... I kind of took that idea and it was like, I've now left these race poems and how it feels like to be a, a, a black male in America to coming back to a country, coming back to a woman that doesn't love you. And now you have to accept that. Um, and yet you still came back to that person. Um, and so with that kind of idea, it was basically a situation shift with America. Yeah. Um, and so that was the major, that was the, the first book when I did it in poetry class. But when I showed it to my consultant, she said, hmm, this actually looks like two separate books. Yeah. And she actually encouraged me, it was a book of 50 poems, I think. Um, and she actually encouraged me to split them up. 
Um, just because when it comes to chapbooks, once again, it's only around the 20 uh, something poems. You know, you want to make sure that your theme is clear um, and you get to the point. Like, I want to know what I'm reading from beginning to end. So I actually decided to separate the two um, and just do the first book strictly on poetry, still within a black lens. Yeah. Um, but uh, sorry, first book of, of love poetry, still within the still within black lenses. Um, and now my second book that I'm currently working on is going to be heavily on race, um, which is only fitting for the times. And it's kind of sad because I remember saying in 2017, some of these race poems, like, you know, when you write a poem from three years ago, you're going to think oh, it's going to be outdated yeah. by 2020. But unfortunately, it's like a lot of those poems that I wrote yeah. back in 2017 still relate. Um, so that's what I'm currently working on right now. Yeah. Um, so how, how was it? Um, I mean, love is, is so personal, right? So how, yeah. and I mean, you know, you know, the person you're talking about may or may not read it, you know, and there's, you yeah, know, there's, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. that social implication. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about, you know, that process and how you, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So when I started writing those poems in, in college, um, at times, you know, you do have someone in mind or you have an idea in mind. Um, and, you know, going through my own experiences, once again, of being on the losing end um, or being on the other end that like even I'm not reciprocating how the other person is feeling. So kind of seeing both sides. Um, for me, I've always been pretty in tune when it comes to my emotions, um, being vocal about how I feel um and like also coming from my background um i'm blessed to have the father that i had because especially the nigerian culture sharing your emotions sharing sadness sharing especially as a man right having those masculine um stereotypes of men don't show their uh don't show their feelings men don't cry my father is very in tune with his emotional side and just growing up watching him um, be vocal, cry, like things like that was like, it made me feel like that's okay. Yeah. So then that then led to my poetry. And even when it comes to my relationships, I'm not the most public person. Um, yeah. However, I get my forms of expression through words um, and just laying it out, all out on the line. Um, and even if the person that you're writing it about whether they read it or not, it's not really for them, right? Mm -hmm. In a sense, of course, that's the person you may have been thinking about or the idea that you were thinking about, but it's more so for you to just get it off your chest, yeah. um, to just feel like, all right, I can get this off. And then now the plus is that it's also dope. Like just other people are hearing it and it's a good poem overall. And you might be relating to somebody else that is going through the same issue. Um, so to answer your question, you know, yes, it it can be it's hard sometimes it's it's intimate but like i see it as more of art versus just spilling out everything it's art to me uh and it's a it's a form of art that i think as a man we're not um always um welcome to share just because of these stereotypes of yeah. you know hold on to your feelings hold on to your insecurities all these things so i just saw that as an opportunity to stick out and 
express myself in the best way possible and also entertain people. Was it, now that you mentioned that, was it, um, was there ever a point where, you know, while you're doing like, you know, reciting your poems out loud in college or anything like that, where people were like, why are you doing that? Like guys don't read poems, like emotions yeah. and, and all that yeah. and love are for, you know, women, you know, people would like Yeah, words. yeah. It was actually the opposite. Okay, um, that's good. Yeah, it was actually the opposite, which is why I yeah. kept doing it. Like, yeah. I, um, I, when I, when I got to DC and I had joined Sex for Chocolate, um, all-male step team on Boston College's campus, um, I joined that freshman year. And so I kind of had a support group of strong black men in, in my life already, um, and which was like super beneficial, especially being a freshman. And some of them did poetry too. So like just seeing them as older examples, like they're, they're, these are dudes that are seniors and like they have all the friends in the world, um, yet they're open enough to share their own poetry. Um, and some of them even perform poetry as well. So seeing that was like, oh, I guess it's okay um, to do it. And then when I started performing poetry, like that's what people knew me as before I joined SC as well. Like, oh, like, he's not just the kid that joins the team. He also does poetry, um, which is not a lot of people are doing right now, especially people at that time that look like me on campus. Um, and so it was dope. I relished in it. Um, and it's something that I actually tried to empower more people on campus to feel comfortable doing. Um, my junior and senior year created a poetry event called Juice, where I had other uh, black poets, um, come join us uh, and speak about our experience at Boston College as black students. Um, yeah. And it was dope. I also partnered with my um, acting professor to run that event. And so just kind of seeing my transformation of being comfortable from the beginning at BC to now trying to empower others uh, to join me um, was something that was, that was pretty great. What's the what's the difference between writing it and performing it? You know, because writing it, I feel mm -hmm. like you don't have to go through the emotions. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're talking about like, you know, love poems or poems about race. When you mm -hmm. read it out loud or you perform it, suddenly it becomes so much more real. I mean, obviously, you know what you're writing. But... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I the, so the difference. And one thing, this is something I had to learn in class. The difference between writing and read the writing and performing it is here's the hip hop side of it. I know what words need to follow quickly after. Um, where if the line is, I'm just gonna freestyle. If the line is like, um, I saw the the slip of your wrist, risk like just having that quick interaction versus I saw the slip of your wrist, risk like that's it's different because you're reading it in a different way. Yeah. For me, it's like, I want to make sure that my poetry, there's going to be parts that are fast, that sounds like kind of lyrical, and then there's going to be one-liners. That's the beauty of poetry. It's like, you get all this stuff in the body, and then the last line just takes you out. Just yeah. takes you out. It's like you have to reevaluate everything. Um, so for me, to perform the poetry, another form of expression, it's also the idea of entertaining people, which is, I got that from basketball when I was younger, um, even going back to once again, kindergarten, when I did that po portrait for high, for high school. Um, and then 
SC, like just entertaining people. I just, I love that. I love knowing what I'm about to do. Yeah. I know that it's rehearsed, but like you're about to get the best performance that you've ever seen before. Um, I love that. And so that's why performing for me, I know how I'm going to say it. I know how it's supposed to be said and I'm going to give you a great performance. There's just like all the things that I, I love. Um, writing it is another challenge and it's probably actually harder to write poetry to perform in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but yeah. No, yeah, no. I, because I, I, I think you're, do, you're doing it for a, a different audience. I mean, because you, you have, as you said, you have the, um, you know, now the emphasis or the phrasing, you know, you're now performing it to a person or to a live audience, so it's different. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about um, your poetry process. How do you, you know, when you were, yeah. you know, maybe when you were going through these phases in your life, were you just writing them down? Are they things that you just get into a reflective mood and you start? Um, yeah. So, so the way my poetry process is, is I need a beat. Like I need some, some song playing in the background. Um, and it doesn't even have to be like an instrumental. Like if I'm listening to any song, um, a Kanye song, a Drake song, Kendrick Lamar J. Cole, if I hear the beat and even sometimes a word, just one word they may say, I take that one word and just start, like, I just go on my own path. Um, the beat kind of helps me stay with that rhythm. Yeah. Um, and it just gives me something to kind of work on. So I've always been like that. And my normal, before the pandemic, my normal commute to work was an hour. Um, so two hours in total, like every day in a car. Oh, so it just gave me an, yeah, yeah it's brutal, bro. It's brutal. <laughs> um, and like, I, I hated it. I still do. But however, yeah. one thing that I kind of took for granted now that I'm in the pen, like I've been working from home for three months now. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that those two hours in the car, even though I hated being in traffic and just two hours of just being there, yeah. it forced me to listen to music and it forced me to like, I just have my thoughts. I'm in a car by myself. There's no other distractions. Just start freestyling. Um, and I could hear like, if I, even if I hear like the rapper also like rapping in the back, I tune out. I just hear the beat alone. Um, and so that's what, I, that's kind of how I get the juices flowing. Yeah. Now, my actual poetry style, it's something that I've seen Kendrick, Eminem, uh, uh, Tupac do a lot is, once again, that last word kind of bouncing off of the, the next line. So one of my poems, um, Issa Rae finds Santa Monica Beach, I have a line in there that says, um, olive oil edge controls the waves of her melanin mind while my ecstasy works in the mind she calls dimples. So what I did there is Olive Oil Edge Control, which is a, a product um, used by uh, black women yep. and, oh, not only black women, but women in general. Mm -hmm. uh, so Olive Oil Edge Control, then adding the controls, the waves of her melanin mind, while my, so just kind of bouncing off of that and then performing it is a lot different, once again, than writing it. Yep. Writing it, you have to make sure the stanzas lined up um, and, and one last thing too with my poems is I take advantage of spacing. So I may have a bunch of lines on this side, but then the last line is all the way over here. 
And I do that for whether it be dramatic pauses or maybe you might think the poem is done and then boom, last line hits you. Um, or just taking advantage of starting over here and then everything else is in the middle. I think playing with the actual spacing of your, your, your stanzas and lines can add to the effect of what you're trying to get off through just reading it versus being able to actually verbally say it. Yeah. Um, do you, like, do you show other people your poem? Like when you were doing drafts for your book, were you showing mm -hmm. other people or are you, or do you do a lot of iterations and editing? Or are you kind of, I was in a zone. Yeah. I'm pretty good with what I wrote. Um, I do. I show it to my friends. Um, I think it's good to do just because like it helps me. Um, it helps me just share my ideas and see how they like it. Um, yeah. So I, I've always, I share, I share with my friends, I share with my girlfriend. They always give me good feedback. They let me know, um, you know, if something needs more, like my friends like truly tell me that, nah, this isn't it. Like they give me good, <laughs> honest feedback. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I, I fight back on it. Sometimes I'm like, all right, let me try it again. Um, and like, if I didn't have these people in my life, like, I don't know where my poetry would be because a lot of like people that follow my poetry would have got some, some crap. If I didn't have people in my life that gave me good constructive criticism. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy it. It's just a nice way to get out of my head because that's something that writers fall into a lot. They're just in a box and they think this is the best thing ever written in, in the world. Then they show it to one or two people and there's so many holes in it. So I'm, I'm a supporter of showing your work before you actually publish it. Um, that way you're not blindsided when it's out there for the whole world to see. Um, and yeah. Talk about that, you know, the time period between, you know, you're, you're writing these things and then, you know, the actual, man, I'm actually going to self-publish this book. I mean, cause, cause I think so many people have these dreams you know, I mean, how many English people, like English majors are there at college? So many, and so many have the talent. Mm -hmm. What was, what was that thing in your mind where like, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna publish this. Um, when I graduated from BC, I just knew that, look, I need to get the ball going. Like, and this is something I really want to do. And I had a job already. Um, I worked for Citizens Bank. And, you know, even joining the bank was like a transition for me because it was, uh, I'm now in the financial space and I'm an English major. So like, there's a lot of new things for me to learn. Um, but I knew that the reason why I took my citizens job is, is due to also financial um, support, but just having that kind of like basis. But however, I still know what my end goal is, which is to be an author. Yeah. Um, so I knew that while I pursue my career career, um, my corporate career, I have to make sure that I'm keeping my dreams alive. Um, and so when I graduated and going through my first year um, in the workspace, I just started making connections, started doing my own research on these literary consultants. Um, and Honestly, I remember the day. There was one day, all I did was I probably just typed in publishing, like how to get your book published on Google. And so many different self-publishing sites came up. I didn't know anything about self-publishing. 
there's one company that said just leave your email and we'll reach out to you. I thought it was a scam. I still did it. Yeah. And I remember when they reached out to me, I was so I was so happy. I'm like, oh my God, like a publisher is asking for my information. Yeah. They want to know how many books I'm gonna write. Meanwhile, like you know, self-publishing. So like they want everyone. Yeah. Um and, and so once I got I kind of got a taste of it, started reaching out and networking to other self-publishers, um, other self-published authors, um, knowing the pros and cons of traditional and self-publishing. I decided which company to go with. I went with Book Baby, um, and I've had a great experience with them. Um, and once I knew that this was an obtainable thing, I had my money right. I knew I could support it. Um, I I was basically there with when it came to content. And so the last piece of it was, all right, dude, you have a publisher. You have a majority of, of this book completed. Now, how are you going to, what's the strategy? What's the marketing? When are you going to announce this? How is the pre-order situation looking like? Um, that's when I decided, all right, it's game time. Um, and right, once again, that's 2017 when I started really looking into it. Um, or actually, sorry, 2018, the summer after, summer after my first year in the workspace. Um, and then the book finally got released in 2019. So like there's a big amount of time in between that. It was just me preparing, making sure everything was aligned right. Because yeah. though this is not my golden child, right? I put that to the side. Yeah, I'm a perfectionist. Even though this is my, my first book, it's my rookie year, and I'm going to make mistakes. How do I make sure that at least I'm putting myself in the best um, position to succeed? Um, it kind of just went from there. So it seems like you weren't even worried about, because I think a lot of people are worried about the social implications of, you know, putting yourself out. It seems like you already knew, like, this is where I want to be. I need to do this in order to be here. So that wasn't even, mm -hmm. I guess, fear and judgment yeah. really wasn't a part yeah. of your process. Yeah. Yeah, well, the reason why it wasn't a big fear of mine was because what I also did was, right, you build your platform, um, which is once again, like, and I'm big on like, I'm, I'm very uh, into Instagram. Um, and so before when I graduated, everyone just knew me as Osama say, he's on Etsy, they just knew me as that. Um, and the only people that knew I performed was once again, like my friends or people that attended my performances. Um, but I, I had to make a step way before I decided to publish the book. I had to make a step of just letting people know I write poetry, like, and I'm not ashamed of it. So what I started to do on my Instagram was post a picture of myself, but then if you slide, there's a poem in there too. Yeah. And even that was kind of a, it was a transitional point because it was like, all right, I have to understand who my audience is. Um, my audience is most likely not the most uh, the the typical poetry reader, right? Um, and so I can't just post poetry alone on my page because yeah. that's engagement wise, that's not gonna get the likes, it's not gonna get the shares. Yeah. Um, so I used to post a picture of myself to let people know that hey, it's still me and I do poetry. So I did this for like a year, same yeah. formula, me slide poem. Um, and I used to also do a poem of the week on my story. So like that's two poems I'm writing usually a week. Yeah. Um, for some, that's, that, that could be a lot because the poetry process could take some time. But yeah. I was just in a space where I was hungry and it's like, I'm, I can give you poems. Yeah. Like just 
Easily. Um, and so started from there. And by the time they actually came to release my book, or at least public, just announce it. Yeah. I wasn't afraid because people knew I do this already. Um, I knew what worked already, what didn't work just by experimenting with my page. Um, and so, and I've always talked about writing a book. And so that first announcement was kind of a cult, uh, uh, um, a full circle for a lot of the people that knew me and also people that were following me on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, say someone that is aspiring to be a writer, a, a, a you know, a published writer or published poet, um, you know, what advice would you give them um, in terms of mm -hmm. getting to where you've gotten to? Yeah, for anyone that's aspiring to, to publish their own book, um, you have to do your research. That's like, that's like the first thing. Like, you have to do your research because one thing you have to realize, and it's the same thing with music, same thing with sports, you could be the best athlete in your city, you could be the best musician in your city, state, you could be the best author in your area. But if no one knows about you, if you can't get your product in front of people, then it's almost like wasted talent. So, and you don't want to do that to yourself because it's not fair to yourself. And, and like, you just don't want to, um, you don't want to shrink your opportunities. So what I would say is do your research because you can learn from people's mistakes. You can learn from people's strengths. You can learn how to build your own platform before you even make this big decision. Um, and just kind of experiment, like just learn how to be a better writer in general. So do your research. Um, and part of that doing your research piece is not only when it comes to writing and your brand, but also knowing the differences between traditional and um, self-publishing. Because with traditional publishing, um, you're working with a company that has now, they give you a contract, um, the money is up front, there's the conversations of royalties, um, and there's a big marketing budget, which is usually the biggest difference. Yeah. With self-publishing, you're paying them, right? Um, you're paying them for distribution. You're paying them to create the cover of your book, the actual physical book itself. Um, some self-publishers have eBooks as well. And so you have to know if you want to take that challenge of creating your own book, making sure that you have the finances to, to do that. Um, and also making sure that, um, you overall have the marketing ability to do this because, self-publishing you're going to do all the marketing on your own so for new writers do your research know the differences between self-publishing and traditional publishing and make sure you have a platform um, make sure you've built your brand um, that way you have people already on your on your side that are willing to buy this book that want to see your growth and then from there hopefully it continues on yeah um i guess um do you want to talk a little bit about you? Um, so obviously you, you post on Instagram a good amount. Um, and then mm. you have a, a book coming out soon. Um, do you want to talk mm. a little bit about the featured poets aspect of your website? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so with featured poets, so if you think back once again, when I was in college, I created this event called Juice. Um, so it was my first time trying to get other poets to come together for us all to make this great performance uh, for an audience. So that was kind of my 
a little taste of getting everyone um, involved. And just me as a person, if you also have talent and you're a creator, like I want to make sure that I can do whatever I can to, to help you as well. Um, Cause I, it's just something in me. I just want to see other people succeed. Um, and so now fast forward to featured poets, really it's the idea of everyone is a poet. Like you're a poet, like everyone is a poet and you just yeah. might not, you just might not know because you don't, you, you, you think that you have to write it in a roses or red, violets or blue format. You think it has to look like Shakespeare. But in reality, especially with Twitter and Instagram, a lot of people are poets. They just might not know. Poetry yeah. is really whatever you want it to be. It could be two lines. That can be, that's poetry in itself. Um, and so I think a lot of people just might not know. Also, I feel like a lot of people, you, you had asked me before how come I'm so comfortable with putting out my poetry. Not everybody is me. So I know a lot of people that write poetry, but privately. Um, and they're, then they don't want to share it just because like, it's very intimate. So taking those kind of ideas of, once again, wanting to showcase other people's talents, um, encourage more people to, to join the art of poetry, um, create future poets. And the thing that I love about my site is you can submit it with your name or you can do it anonymously. Yeah. Um, regardless, I want to give people the space to, ex to express themselves. And one last thing too is thinking back to my own experience with, um, with writing poetry, part of my times of trying to just get myself involved with the poetry culture um, and letting people know that I write poetry, there was a point where um, I kind of slowed down with it now, but getting involved, getting my work published in other magazines and other literary, um, uh, literary uh, uh, magazines. And so going through that process, I got a lot of no's. I got a lot of denies, a lot of rejections, um, and it sucked. It sucked. Um, when I finally did get published, like it just gave me the boost that I needed. And so thinking back to that time, I thought, all right, there's another Osamse out there that maybe they're on there, they want to write their first book, but they know that they have to be published in some literary magazines first, but they just they are getting no's. So with me, it's like, I will give you that opportunity to showcase yourself, show your growth, um, and make sure that I can do whatever I can with my own network, with my, with my own marketing tools to make sure that, um, you know, showcasing your talent and hopefully it's the beginning of your story. Yeah. Um, obviously you've, you know, been writing, um, a lot on race and, and things of that nature. Um, especially given what's gone on, you know, the last couple months with George Floyd and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. and just the nations, I think, you know, these things have been going on. So, but, the nation now acknowledging or having more awareness of it. Um, talk about what that's, that process has been like. You've posted some recent ones um, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how has that been and what have you learned? And, you know, maybe the response yeah. from people. Yeah. So when it comes to the the recent death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and like the um, all the all the others that yep. people don't even talk about, um, when this kind of started to go off again, um, I just knew that 
this is this is my bag. Like I've always written about this stuff. Yeah. Um, and like I just remember saying like this this is me, like, this is the time. Um, and so I've always written about race, but like the poems that I've been putting out recently, definitely, um, I would say have, um, stepped it up a notch in my opinion. Um, and one thing that I'm doing is remember how I mentioned before my strategy was picture of myself, then poem. I've experimented and I've decided, you know, maybe I don't need to put myself, because this movement is bigger than just me. Like, it's yeah. not just Osama say, it's what my poetry stands for. And now what I've decided to do with the past couple of poems is just the poem itself. The poem itself can speak for itself. Um, if you don't like it, you don't like it. And for me, it's been awesome to do because I've noticed more engagement. Um, I've noticed more reshares just because I think like what the poetry that I'm putting out right now is very relatable to what's going on. Um, and for me, it's just, this is the space that like I thrive in and it's unfortunate. It, it, it truly is unfortunate. It's annoying. It's tired. It, it's, it's tiring. It's frustrating. Um, and all we can do is continue to voice our opinions. Once again, featured poets. That's why I have that platform to anyone that wants to share their voice. That is a space to do so. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, that's that's what that's what's gone into my recent poems. Um, myself, I've done a lot of um, uh, trying to spread word even outside of poetry. So whether it be um, attending a protest or even talking about it in my workspace, because um, that was something that did bother me. The kind of the how silent some of my coworkers were when yep. um, all of this was starting. And so, you know, I can't just tell my my manager, hey, can I do a poem for you? Like, I have to realize how I can change, if if we want to change the world, right? And for you and I, people that have graduated, um, we're in the workspace now, we're in corporate yeah. America, how do we change this world? And the only way we can do that is in our own workspaces. So bringing it up, once again, I'm, I'm the only, um, one of the three black males in my um, part of the company. Yeah. And so just speaking out about, hey, the silence did bother me. Um, how do we have conversations of race? And now that's led to a book club, um, which has been awesome. We meet every yeah. Monday. So, um, yeah, that's what I've been trying to do, even outside of the poetry and just making sure that our voices are heard, as well as educating our allies um, and making sure people know the differences between saying, I don't see race, which I think is super ignorant. Um <laughs> Yeah, or all lives matter, things like that. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, I guess was there was there anything else that you wanted to um, talk about, or anything I didn't yeah, I, mean, I didn't ask? Uh, I think you hit it all. Okay. Um, I, again, I appreciate the opportunity. I think overall, my message that I would give out to poets or anybody that has a, like a dream or hobby um, that, you know, you have to start from somewhere. What I would say to that person is keep on doing what you're doing, whether it be you're a writer, um, whether it be you're doing music, whether it be you just want that, that job, that big promotion or anything, just keep fighting because like there are going to be points where it stinks. You're not seeing any progress. Um, I still go through that where it's like, 
am I doing the right thing right now? Um, you know, like, should I stop this? Anytime you have those moments of insecurity and weakness, it's always do just once again, do this for yourself. Um, I'm not doing this poetry stuff for money. Like I'm doing this because like, I love poetry and it's my way of, uh, of sharing, of, of voicing my opinion, sharing my voice. Um, and so if you have a passion, just keep on going at it because one day someone will notice your passion. There's so many people out there that are already doing music and poetry, especially in our information age. However, the people that are going to stick out and remain in that upper echelon is the people that continuously push on to their, um, their work, continue to grow, continue to work on their content, um, and just never give up because that's where you will fall um, with the others. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Um, you know, I just want to acknowledge, um, you know, how awesome it is to see what you're doing, um, to go thank after you. your dreams, um, to be, you know, I think a lot of the times, um, you know, people don't, I guess, you know, it takes, it'll, it'll take, you know, you know, minorities to write, a, you know, poems for the broader society to understand, you know, f your feelings and things mm -hmm. and how the whole, you know, maybe how the race is feeling and, and things of like that, things of that nature. And, and you're doing that and you're, you're being that voice, mm -hmm. you know, obviously representing, you know, mostly yourself, but also as just a, an experience mm -hmm. that everyone can learn from. And um, you're putting mm -hmm. that, you know, you're putting yourself in that position where people can learn from your experiences or they can learn from your poems or things of that nature. And, um, so I just want to acknowledge you. Um, I think Thank you. Uh, I appreciate yeah, it. I can't, I, I hope, uh, can't wait for the, the book to come out, uh, the next one. And, Thank um, you. for people Thank out you. there that want to learn, uh, more about you or support you, um, what are the channels, mm -hmm. um, that you're on and, yeah. and where, what are the, your um you know your account names and things like that yeah. so my instagram is at osama say to our best um so that's o-s-a-m-a-s-e-t-o-r best um and to our best is my middle name because sometimes people read that as osama say to best but it's actually <laughs> osama say to our best yeah. um but uh that's my Instagram handle. Then my website is uh, same thing, Um On there is where you can find uh, not only my poetry, uh, whether it be the ones that are on Instagram or even my published poems, um, but also you can find my book on there, Situationship. Um, I do have some merch on there as well. And lastly, Featured Poets. Um, you could submit your work on there. I encourage everyone to uh, submit their work. Um, and it's just a great space. And even the, the current po poets on there, like there's some, there's some talented yeah. people on Featured Poets. And so yeah. for me, it's just been like a pleasure to even see um, all the great work that's coming out of that site. Um, so that's where people can find me. Um, and I, I also, if, if you're, if you're uh, another uh, creative and you're, you have your own passions and if you ever, ever have any questions, um, no matter what you're doing, music, art, like feel free to reach out just for us to connect, um, share ideas and even potentially see if there's any partnerships 
um, that can come out of that. So, yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Osama said, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it.